0: All right, ye lovers,
1: <clears throat> how is everybody doing? Happy almost 4th of July. <laughs> yeah, baby. We're going to do some fireworks tonight in celebration of our freedom. Yeah, baby. How's everybody doing? Doug Vincent, welcome. Mark Crispin, Wendy Roland, Mocia Sia, Elisa, good to see you. Yeah, we're going to have fun tonight. Now, I know last week I mentioned that I was going to do tarot this week, and I got looking into it, and I'm not going to lie to you. uh, I have to build up (laughs) the information on tarot for you to understand the points that I was going to make with it. It's probably, you know, it's pretty in-depth. And so I'm going to do something much more usable for now, and uh, we'll, we'll do some tarot stuff later down the road, I do believe. Don't be disappointed. Don't throw eggs at me because I have a fabulous subject to share with you tonight. We are going to talk Book of Mormon Archaeology. And I have some new analysis which I will share from my point of view updating the current state of Book of Mormon archaeology up to a point I have not read the very, very most recent, but I will. But I'm going to break into this tonight with a screaming response uh, that I do believe some of us will be familiar with. Hey, baby. Yeah, baby. Mark Crispin, you got that right. Peter Higgs, hello. Dan Vogel, welcome, my friend. All of you are looking good, looking good. So uh, I want to first start off with something that struck me as extremely odd (laughs) and yet very relevant to my tonight's show. (laughs) This is Crazy Wild Beans. This is in the LDS Living Magazine. Notice that now you can have your chance to get to the Holy Land while you still can with the LDS licensed guides in Israel. what in the Sam Hill does that even mean? LDS licensed guide in Israel. I mean, they're trying to Mormonize Jerusalem now Ah, for Pete's sake. Yeah. There's no way you can go on your own. You need an LDS licensed guide. And so, you know, it's unlikely you'll learn enough about the Jews and you'll probably learn more about Orson Hyde dedicating the land to the return of the Jews from the Mormon side of things who knows what they do or talk about but
2: anyway
1: patty cake how are you welcome my dear okay let's uh the reason I wanted to bring that up this idea of LDS Licensed guides in the tours now. The one apologetic strategy that has shown up, and and I've noticed this with the Book of Abraham, and I did mention it uh, a lot in my series on the papyri, and I'll probably end up mentioning it quite a bit here with this Book of Mormon and archaeology idea, is the theme that. You have to be an expert now in order to weigh in on Book of Mormon topics, archaeological topics, historical interpretation and hermeneutics and exegesis. You have to preferably have a Ph.D. plus an honorary Ph.D. in four or five fields perhaps, and then you might be able to talk about the validity of the Book of Mormon. Until then, you, you John Q. Public, you do not have the mental acumen with which we Mormon scholars do, and therefore you just need to read all of our stuff and leave the interpreting to us. Now, the real interesting thing has happened in the last, say, couple of decades, uh, in large part because of the spearheading of John Sorensen from the uh, BYU Farms, who did the ancient American setting for the Book of Mormon. He is the big one on, the, on promoting the Mesoamerican interpretation of the Book of Mormon geography down there just below the Yucatan Peninsula. And he does not include the Yucatan into any of the Book of Mormon cities or anything. It's below that. He has begun... Well, he did while he was alive. He just recently died. And he was a very prolific scholar. But now the theme has come out that the prophets including Joseph Smith and all of those people around him, all of his faithful followers, the council of the Twelve. they didn't understand the book of Mormon. But now today we are in good hands because when farms was created with the likelihood of John Sorensen and, uh, Dr. Clark is there now, and and now Brant Gardner and all that. They have basically essentially said, no one got the geography correct, which means that all of the interpretations of the Book of Mormon that have been presented by the leaders of the church have been wrong or at least incomplete, and now finally we, as the scholars and archaeologists and experts at farms and BYU, we now have the proper interpretation of the Book of Mormon, where it happened, what it meant, and the validity of it. Now, now this is uh, this is pretty bold. <laughs> I, I'll just put it that way. And uh, Bill Hamblin, hey, Mr. Natural. Oh, Susie Diaz, good to see you. Peter Higgs, I've already said, hey, Willie, I've already said hi to you. JB Maybe, good evening from New York City. Welcome here, Bubba. Good to see you here. Looks like we've got some new faces. That's always fun. First off, let me say, uh, essentially, the more things change, the more they stay the same essentially. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, in this particular field uh, it really is true. Uh, so and and the reason I say that is because the uh, the scholar context, now and I have to distinguish this and I'm going to show you why tonight. the scholar context, as opposed to the apologetic context, is not the same. And the apologetic context does two things. It refuses to accept the scholar context if the evidence does not turn in favor of the Book of Mormon And they maintain their apologetic stances, even if those stances originated in the 1970s, they maintain those all the way through if they support the Book of Mormon. Now, now this is quite interesting, because that's that simply, that's not good scholarship. That's outstanding apologetics, but that's not good scholarship. And I have a premium example of that tonight that I'm dying to share with you. Not by way of ad hominem. I will be the first to say John Sorensen certainly knew more about Mesoamerica, and Mesoamerican history and archaeology than I ever will kudos true bill hamblin was vastly superior in his scholarship to me in so many areas i will gladly acknowledge that and say i have enjoyed reading both of these gentlemen and their materials they are both unfortunately passed on now so i'm not attempting to do an ad hominem i'm attempting to come to an understanding of what happens when apologetics clashes with actual scholars and scholarship. Uh, And they always appear to me, I say always, I shouldn't be so absolutist, so I've got to correct myself. For the most part, the approach of the apologetics has been to call the scholarship naive, or else just stubbornly biased. And then move on from there. Because, of course, the scholarship will not accept every pee-picking, silly, ridiculous theory that the apologists come up with, usually from a minority standpoint, in order to justify a particular part of the Book of Mormon. And so, of course, the Mormon apologists get peeved and they start yelling at the scholar. Well, you're just biased. You hate You hate our religion being confirmed. And so you have a religious bias and you're prejudiced and you're truly naive. And you haven't read all of our materials, so you're ignorant as well. This has been, for the most part, crazy as it sounds the main defense apologists have used. Now, today, I did something very interesting. I reread, I reread this probably every other year or so. I've read it four or five times, uh, but I reread the entire Philip Jenkins-Bill Hamblin debate on the Book of Mormon and Archaeology today, preparing for tonight's, Discussion tonight's live show. Now, I have already prepared the materials of John Sorensen that I want to share with, but it just swallowed me up. You know, I read until late this afternoon in this to get it finished, and I was just amazed at the parallel with the way Bill Hamblin handled the evidence against the scholar in this case, Phil Jenkins, the same way John Sorensen handled the evidence against Ray Matheny, Deanne Matheny, and Mike Coe. And so I I was pretty shocked. So I've just highlighted a couple of items. By now, I suspect everyone has... uh, I think everyone has probably read the Phil Jenkins, Bill Hamblin debates, but I want to share some of the highlights that really struck me this time. And I believe it's worth it because it's going to lead me into my next part of this uh, subject. So Phil Jenkins sincerely asked this question at least a dozen times in this debate. He said, let's go to the core issue, and here it is. Can anyone cite any single credible fact, object, site, or inscription from the New World that supports any one story found in the Book of Mormon? One sherd of pottery? one tool of bronze or iron, one carved stone, one piece of genetic data, and by credible, I mean drawn from a reputable scholarly study or an academic book or a refereed journal, not some cranky piece of pseudoscience. That, I believe, is what sucked Bill Hamblin into this debate. Uh, Jenkins had posted quite a few things on pseudo-history, crank, uh, thinking, etc. And when he got to Nahum in the Book of Mormon, and then he put this question, and he destroyed Nahum, then Bill Hamblin got involved what I'm going to do is share the ideas and themes of how Jenkins was responding. You can go back to that debate and read it again. I would strongly encourage you to. Uh, Phil Jenkins just man handled not only Bill Hamblin, but Neil Rapoli tried to go one of the junior tier apologists, so to speak, one of the junior tier scholars tried to get in there and help defend Bill, and I I have never seen a more devastating evisceration ever given anyone on the internet than when Phil Jenkins responded to the utterly stupid argument, not the person. He stuck right with the illogic and the ridiculous metaphors and the utterly weak analogies that Rapalai brought out. Now Rapoli wrote a pretty decent sized article and Jenkins just met. it's like a 3-year-old boxing Mike Tyson for the uh the world championship it just it did not happen. <laughs> Here is Phil Jenkins' approach, which I believe carries great weight in this particular subject. Hamblin, after through as they progressed in this debate, they were trying to get on the same page, and of course they never could. And Jenkins knew <laughs> beforehand that. <laughs> It just wasn't going to happen, man. He knew how the Mormon apologist would react. See, the Mormon apologist assumed... Phil Jenkins didn't know spit, hadn't read the Book of Mormon and all that. And so he immediately began insulting Jenkins' intelligence, calling him naive. and Oh, you don't know about the thousands of pages of LDS scholarship, which you really need to read first before you say there's no Book of Mormon archaeology. You have to read our interpretations. You have to have the correct methodology and on and on and on and on. On to damn near complete boredom. And Jenkins just, bam, pack-handed Hamblin with it, man. <laughs> it was very powerful. So <laughs> the debates can be found. Google Phil, P-H-I-L, jenkins j-e-n-k-i-n-s the naham follies f-o-l-l-i-e-s and that's where you can find it you'll see his article on the naham follies or you can type in you can google phil jenkins and then bill hamblin h-a-m-b-l-i-n And that will take you to the debates themselves. And they have put them all together uh, step-by-step, one-by-one, in order. And it's a marvel to behold. Hamblin, into the debate four or five responses later, actually said that Jenkins asking for any one single artifact was an annoying challenge, (laughs) which is hilarious. That is so hilarious. Um, (laughs) Let me keep reading and I'll show you why. This is too good to lose, man. Bill Hamblin's defense was not to show any evidence like Phil Jenkins was very properly calling for, but to ask Jenkins to read tens of thousands of pages of apologetic writings. (laughs) And Jenkins, of course, said, phooey on that, dude. That's a waste of my time. So Hamblin got all offended, which is silly. He claims professors Hamblin claims professors are biased against the religious claims of the Book of Mormon now and are deliberately prejudiced about the origin story of the Book of Mormon with the angel Moroni, you know, sneaking through the ceiling late at night in a shaft of of light three times in the night— waking up poor Joseph out of his day dr- night dreams and telling him about the Book of Mormon, and Joseph Smith translating the Book of Mormon with a magic seer stone, etc. Hamlet says that is the reason why the scholars are so biased. Now, of course, what Hamlet is doing is merely incestuously bringing up Hugh Nibley's argument against the scholars when they show the Book of Mormon is literally unsupported by any archaeology, the interesting thing is Phil Jenkins never brought up the angel Moroni. He never once talked about the gold plates. He never once examined the silliness of using the seer stone, looking into the hat to translate, etc. Phil Jenkins never brought that up. He simply asked for one piece of actual. Evidence in favor of the Book of Mormon people's being in Mesoamerica. In other words, the very first thing Bill Hamblin did was set up a straw man and knock it down and then sit back and expect, ha, this chump's going to crumble. Jenkins came right back at him. He wants archaeological artifacts and he again reiterated that challenge. Just one thing, one piece, just one. I'm not asking you for multiple mountains of it, just one item. He never mocked anything about the origin of the Book of Mormon. Hamblin is just wrong, as it is ineffective at hiding the fact that there is no archaeological evidence of any kind for the Book of Mormon where there should be. There's the key of a civilization of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of inhabitants. Jenkins says without receiving some kind of proof that the Book of Mormon has some kind of authentic core I am clearly not going off to read my way through a whole apologist library. Very properly so. He, Hamblin, is awfully good at deploying impressive-sounding academic words to conceal the total vacuity of his argument. He weasels out of giving a straight answer. If Dr. Hamblin had a shred of worthwhile evidence, he would use it. But he doesn't, and he can't. We need facts. We need any trace of archaeological footprints that would undoubtedly exist if hundreds of thousands or millions of these people had lived in the Americas at any given time. If they had cities and empires and roads. The point is, the emperor has no clothes. But Hamblin is very good at suggesting why everyone else is dishonest and naive, Hamblin's favorite word he used against Jenkins, if they think they see him without clothes. Isn't that fun? Trying to reverse psychology Jenkins and Jenkins never bit at all, man. He trashes Hamblin's method. If any apologist had the slightest confidence in your claims, you would be falling all over yourself giving me this archaeological site and that inscription and this Maya text. You aren't because none exist. I am asking for that one clincher piece of evidence that makes mainstream historians or archaeologists say, whoa, my Lord, the Book of Mormon is on to something. That's what bothered Hamblin. Jenkins is asking for actual physical evidence, right? The Book of Mormon seriously Why is that not happening with the Book of Mormon? Your methodological emphasis has one purpose only, which is to distract attention from the core of the debate, which is why you cannot and you will not produce any positive evidence to support your claim. The only thing Hamblin ever started doing was throwing up all kinds of negative reasons why he has no evidence. And that wasn't good enough for Jenkins. And it's no longer good enough for me as an apologist. I used to argue like Hamblin did. Yeah. So, what you are saying is that there is a mighty civilization that lasted a thousand years and which in many ways looked like the civilizations of the ancient near East from which it descended. Actually, they, they commanded a range of weapons that we think of as characteristic of the iron age with swords and chariots, things like that we must be te- we must be talking a society of hundreds of thousands if not millions at any given time and you think it vanished so completely that archaeologists can find no trace of it no inscriptions no architecture no texts no archaeology of weapons It certainly is not represented by any of the Maya societies and cultures whose roots in history we can trace now with confidence. So it must be elsewhere. And apologists spend a lot of their time thinking up reasons why that society left no trace at all in either the historical record or the archaeological record anywhere in Mesoamerica. It's just gone in the wind. Now, I talked this afternoon with my dear friend Doug Vincent, who happens to be here. Shout out to you, Doug. And he mentioned something very important, and i'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this that this was quite a good insight of his. He said that he was watching a documentary some years back on the Romans and how they had expanded up into uh, Great Britain and Germany. And they had, they had expanded the empire North, right. And at the height of their powers, they became a very, very, uh, very large and very, very uh, powerful culture force and army, right. The Romans, nobody beat them for almost a thousand years. The Jews certainly never did. The Greeks didn't have a chance, right? So when we read about the armies of the Book of Mormon peoples, they are larger than the entire Roman legion. Now, this is something. This is why I wanted to bring it out. I asked Doug, would you mind if I share this? He said, no, no, by all means. So thank you, Doug, for this idea. The Roman legions, at their apogee, at their very height of size, power, glory, was of about 600,000 troops. In the Book of Mormon, the Nephites and Lamanites only are claimed to have a million larger than the Romans. The Jaredites in their final battle lost a million people as well in a completely separate culture and event. So we're talking millions of people. Now the remarkable thing Doug noted And when he told me this, I said, yeah, 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 that's a very good point, is the Roman army camps, they left their footprint uh, in the archaeological record. There's no question about that. I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of soldiers, even a cohort of 10,000 or 5,000. You've got to have cooks. You've got to have chariots, animals. You've got to have food supplies, you have to have sharpening stones, weapons, armor, clothing, water. I mean, it's a huge deal to support and supply an army out in the field. Nothing just vanishes. They found out fires. How many fire pits would they have built? These were discovered in Britain And this happened, guys, 2,000 years ago. Well, so did the Book of Mormon story. But we find nothing of a group of people who are larger by 20 to 30 percent larger, 40 percent with the Jaredites, than the Roman Legion. And yet we find nothing of any kind, anywhere in Mesoamerica or in North America. So the Heartlanders also fail on this score. Now, that's really important. Uh, And I just wanted to kind of bring this theme out of how the apologists have been attempting to take our eye off the ball. You remember I taught you that with the Joseph Smith papyri? No question. And the bogus translation of the Book of Abraham? No question. They do the same thing with the Book of Mormon archaeology in Mesoamerica. They try to compare the lack of archaeological discoveries of the Book of Mormon in Mesoamerica with some of the lack of biblical archaeology artifacts way over across the ocean on the other side of the world. And Phil Jenkins wouldn't have anything to do with that. He said, no, I'm talking right here, right now, in front of your nose. You guys are claiming this is Mesoamerica. I want to see the artifacts. And Jenkins is entirely justified in asking just for one mere item, and he never received it. Now, this debate took place in 2015, right? So, we're seven years down the road from that. So, now I want to give you another context of another angle from the other scholar I want to analyze, and that is John Sorensen, and I want to discuss the theme of metallurgy in Mesoamerica and how it is described in the Book of Mormon, and see what kind of a correlate, if there is such an one, that we can find in favor of the Book of Mormon, because Sorensen wrote tens of thousands of pages of information on this topic, claiming that there were very, very good justified parallels, and therefore we were entirely within bounds to believe in the Book of Mormon as a genuine historical text Phil Jenkins demonstrated that Bill Hamblin approaches the Book of Mormon not as a scholar, but as a personal faith, which Jenkins was quick to point out that that is not a fault. I'm not going to mock that because I kind of do that myself in my own Christian faith. That's not a crisis, but you, Bill Hamblin, are approaching this subject as a an attempt at an objective scholarship at you're trying to utilize these scholarly methods in and disciplines of archeology, span historical analysis. You do very, very excellent with your work when you're dealing with the old world. But all of a sudden you throw all of that away when it comes to Mesoamerica and it really puzzled Jenkins. And now that I'm no longer an apologist, I see why Jenkins was puzzled, because it is just flat out totally unconvincing, right? So, let's look at uh, John Sorensen, and I I can't go into any kind of a depth. What I want to do is talk about yeah, Dan Vogel's already one shoe ahead of the step shine, which I knew he would be. Thank you, Dan, for kind of giving us the information in chat, too. He's exactly correct when he talks about metallurgy and Mesoamerica dates to about 900 AD. This is critical. In fact, I have a... Uh... Now, I can't remember what order I put these in. I asked John Delin this morning for permission to utilize a couple of the uh a couple of minutes in clips with his interview with Mike Coe, and he graciously said I could and thank you John Delin for your graciousness for allowing me to do this this is a really important part of my presentation i have about 5 clips now these will range anywhere from 45 seconds to about four minutes. I just can't remember which order I put these in, so I'm going to kind of ad-lib as I share one of these clips with you. So this might come across as somewhat disoriented, but there is a very specific point I want to make about John Sorensen that, to me, is truly a marker demonstrating he was working as an apologist, not as a scholar. But first, let me share at least one of these uh, clips from Michael Coe. Oh, my gosh, I've got more than I thought I did.
3: Oh, wow, I've got a lot more than I thought I did. No way.
1: Let's hear some.
3: For your question, that was super useful. All right, so let's turn, Dr. Coe, you've been really patient and, and with us. Let's leave this Book of Mormon resources, lidar, lidar sort of question, and let's turn to, um, let's turn to the responses that um, that Dr. John Sorensen had to my interview with you from so many years ago. Is that okay? Okay. So um, what I'm going to do is is read each kind of issue that John Sorensen. Uh, responds to so basically this is an open letter to Dr. Michael Co. that Fair Mormon uh, produced. There's no date on it that I can find. It's got an introduction by Greg Smith, who's awesome, and then it's got uh, Dr. Sorensen's open letter. And basically, he he highlights excerpts from the Mormon Stories podcast interview with Dr. Coe, and then he he gives responses. <laughs> so I'll just read some John should be here. (laughs) I know, I know. We welcome, we've also invited John Sorenson to come on Mormon Stories multiple times, and he's also declined. So we, we extend that, uh, that offer as well. Um, so, um, uh, we talked about in the interview that I did with you, that there's been no, uh, there's no evidence of metal or, no, there's no sites that have been located in Mesoamerica that, that provide evidence for the advanced types of metallurgy that would be required for the types of weapons that that many, uh, you know, want the Book of Mormon to have or describe yeah. the Book of Mormon having. Has that
2: changed? Are we finding that there was metallurgy? Well, metal- that was presumably bronze, bronze weaponry. Uh, and uh, Prior to that hasn't changed. Um, the classic Maya, which is what we're talking about now, during the classic period, which is what what, what, about uh, 150 AD until 900. Okay, by 900, they're finished. And uh, who's finished the classic Maya? Maya? The classic Maya, okay, they built those cities and uh, so called cities, and uh, at the very end. Some copper metallurgy appears apparently diffused from South America, from Peru and Ecuador. There's no question about that. That's where it came from. They were much more advanced in in, in the Andes than than, uh, in metallurgy. It was, uh, you know, fancy gold work, cast how to cast gold, uh, etc. All of this was diffused. From South America, but after the decline of the Classic Maya, and there's you you find a little bit of copper coming in, just a little bit as a sort of offering uh, underneath these uh, stone steeling, these uh, raised with the uh, Copan, the site of Copan, for instance. Uh, you, you've got uh, a little bit of gold coming at the very, very end. And uh, during the whole 600 years or so the classic Maya flourished, there was never a trace of metal weapons. Never a trace. So one of, one of Dr. S.
1: So what that shows is that Dr. Coe is well aware of the claims of John Sorenson. But what I have discovered, there are two issues with John Sorenson, and I, and I have quite a few of these clips I want to share. I will sort of ad lib because I want to intersperse them because this interview, uh, John DeLynn on Mormon Stories, I believe it's numbers 905, 906, and 907. Now, he did a podcast for... Four years earlier than this, this was in uh, 2018, I believe. Sorry if I'm getting that wrong, Doctor Delin, but uh, I believe it was 2018 to 2019 that he did this interview with Doctor Cole on the video. But four years previous, he had done a podcast, and it's real interesting how the apologists react to this live session with Doctor Cole. They were on the chat challenging Delin and Dr. Co. and I caught a couple of those that I want to share with you just to show you how the apologists operate. Let, let me pursue uh, let me pursue one of the keys which I believe definitely shows that Sorensen valuable though he was, more knowledgeable than I will ever be in this subject though he was. He put on his apologetic hat too much, And in my opinion, and this is just me, I'm not advocating this for everybody. I can't trust what John Sorensen says all the time. And so quite frankly, I'm seriously skeptical of all of it until I see some really good evidence. And here is why. Now in the book Quest for the Gold Plates by Stan Larson, This was 1996 signature books. Now, as an apologist, I reviewed this and I gave him a scathing review about him mishandling Nibley, but that was because I was taking Nibley's side and I only understood the papyri from Nibley's view. Now that I have gotten clear, as I mentioned, in all those other videos in my series, I now see how my critique of Larson was so off-base. But I didn't really touch his stuff on Thomas Stuart Ferguson and his attempts at discovering a true Book of Mormon archaeology. This is a review of Thomas Stuart Ferguson's life. A very good man with very good intentions. This is not an ad hominem attack against Dr. Ferguson. Just so you know, Stan Larson notes the metallurgy test of Lars, or, or I mean sorry of Thomas Stuart Ferguson in his book of Mormon analysis And I will just uh, let me this is the part I if if I have time I will get back into this but I want to get to this one particular point now this is on page 197. Of the quest of the gold plates. If you have this, you can read along. If not, get this book and read. Really, truly, this is one of the better books on this subject, I think. Unless, of course, you read the reviews by the apologists who put on their apologetic hat to review this instead of the scholar hat, like they should, to see how valid this argument is. So uh, 197, historical and comparative linguists of various Mesoamerican languages sometimes suggest, now this is one of Sorensen's main defenses of metal, because like Co. very correctly pointed out, metallurgy was not had in the Book of Mormon era, time-wise, or in the place where John Sorenson put the Nephites or Lamanites. And yet the Book of Mormon presents a full-blown metallurgy. And I realize the apologists will disagree with that. That's fine. Hang on. I'm going to define that. I'm going to share it with I think Deanne Matheny and Ray Matheny have the better argument on the incredible metallurgy that the Book of Mormon does present in both the Jaredites and the Nephite civilizations. Sorensen downplays that, as does John Clark, Dan Peterson, and Bill Hamlin, and that's their strategy, but I don't buy it. So we go to the historical linguistics now on this subject, and this is during the period from 2500 BC to AD 400. And citing a study, now here's Sorensen, he cites a study which proposed a word for metal. In the reconstructed proto-mixtecan language, Sorensen said that the researchers were puzzled by the fact that a word for metal seemed to have existed in the proto-language at about 1000 BC, so this is way early on. Unfortunately, Sorensen misrepresented his source. Brats, I hate it when apologists do that, but he did, and unfortunately he did. The linguists Robert E. Longacre and Rene Millen actually said the linguistic evaluation of a set provides the framework for its cultural evaluation. But however strong it may be linguistically, however strong it may be linguistically, this does not provide proof that the specific aspect of Proto-Mixtecan or Proto-Amuzgo-Mixtecan life it represented actually existed on that horizon. For example, one set of words is what he's talking about. The set of words. Linguistically evaluated as solid, well, that reconstructs in Proto-Mixtecan with the meaning bell, or perhaps metal. The existence of metal or metal bells at this early date is highly improbable. On the basis of existing archaeological evidence. Examination of the set suggests that the original meaning may have been a rattle, but it is impossible to be certain of this. Now, this full context they now demonstrate of these two scholars, which Sorensen I mean, he never said any of this either, but he never used the full context, and here it is. Longacre and Millen explained that greater certainty is obtained when a group of related vocabulary terms describing a specific cultural practice is reconstructed for the proto-language. A group of related vocabulary words. I'm going to emphasize that because John Sorensen skips this. The likelihood of the same semantic shifts having occurred in all of the words associated with such a practice is highly improbable. Longacre and Millen discussed six. Strong complexes of related terms. The maize complex, the maguey complex, the agricultural complex, the masa preparation complex, the weaving complex, and the palm complex but they referred again to the conjectured word for metal in a list of six terms excluded for various reasons. This effort to determine vocabulary items in the proto mixtecum language brought forth merely a conjectured word for either metal or a bell or a rattle and not a group of related metallurgical terms. Well, this certainly does not reveal names for many different kinds of metal, such as the numerous metals required by the Book of Mormon. Gold, silver, iron, steel, copper, brass, and some unknown metal perhaps they called ziff. Now, that context, that correction, see, I scribbled all over. See, I scribble all over in my books. I highlight certain areas. I write in my books. I underline. I put stars and all that so that I can give you guys the best information. But this entire context of complex groups of related words with meaning in language and how they are related to actual physical life and culture is not at all what Sorensen mentioned. And he was given this context in 1996. So the critique here is of his book the ancient American setting for the Book of Mormon. But a year before his book came out, Sorensen did a uh, two-part series of articles in the Ensign for September 1984. And on page 35, I will read what he said. I remember reading this as an apologist. I was thrilled out of my gourd. I told absolutely everybody about this thing. Man, I made photocopies of this like crazy and shared them with my entire elders quorum at the time. I'm serious. I was thrilled that none of them could understand it, but it was fun to share. Here's what he said. Professors Longacre and Millen have reconstructed part of Proto-Mixtecan spoken in the state of Oaxaca. Mexico, and surrounding areas a word for metal, at least a metal bell, according to their data. That's how he put it. But that's not what they said at all. That That is entirely out of context. Then in 1985, and, and here was part of my... Uh, This was one of the main points I wanted to make in tonight's presentation, demonstrating the difference between uh, the apologetic mindset and the scholarly mindset in his book. And, oh, man, my book's falling apart. An Ancient American Setting for the Book of Mormon. He said on page 279, and this was 1985, Traditionally or traditional Mesoamerican accounts for various groups have reported use of metals that dirt dirt archaeologists have failed to document. Evidence from language also indicates knowledge in the metallurgical arts beyond the supposed AD-900 barrier. Longacre and Millen reconstructed part of the Proto Mixtecan language of the state of Oaxaca and thereabouts on the basis of words found in its daughter languages in identifying terms that must have been in use. Before the descendant tongues split apart, the researchers were puzzled by the fact that a word for metal seemed to have existed in the proto-language at about 1000 BC. Of course, metalworking is not supposed to have been going on then. That's how he put it in 1985. Then, and the reason that I wanted to make a big deal about this is because what I discovered, uh, I have Sorensen's book here and his article there, in a truly magnificent effort. And I used this particular study as an apologist years ago when I was making my apologetic videos on, on his study on metals that uh, I used a lot. And this is a the ancient uh, metals paper in 1992. It was put out by Farms. I don't know if this was ever formally published. I got my copy through, uh, I believe, Matt Roper, uh, either him or John Twetness. Um, and it's on page 33. <coughs> and he is showing the research of Longacre and Millen here they comprehensively review studies on groupings of the languages under consideration and their possible glottochronological positions. In summary, a date of about 3,000 years ago for the Proto Mixtecan horizon is both plausible and conservative. A date 500 to 1,000 years earlier is probable for Proto Amuzgo Mixtecan. And then on page 22, he describes their context. Now, the crazy thing is, is in this study, I'm not going to read it because I just read it. There it is in the green. See that entire paragraph here? That's the full context. That's a much more full context than what he told us about in the ancient American setting but it still does not support his claim. He is still miscontexting the whole thing, which is crazy beans. So I asked myself, John Sorensen gave us his final will and testament in this absolute behemoth of a book mormon's codex this was the last book he wrote where he pulled out all the stops and he completely goes blitzoid freaking crazy over parallels he finds over 400 of them and he's showing absolute mesoamerican proof of the book of mormon in this book and on page 332 john Sorensen says proto mixtecan Longacre, and Millen found a word for metal or metal bell and estimated its date to 1,000 to 1,500 BC. That's it. That's all he said. Now, he knew of the critique of Stan Larson, quest for the gold plates. He knew he was taking this out of context. And yet in 2013, Teen. 25 years later than his original misuse plenty of time to correct the cog text John Sorensen did the apologetic apologist two-step and continued to misrepresent that source and that's why I can't trust him he's not Interested in the truth of the Mesoamerican relationship. This is gonna sound odd to apologists, I know. I get it, I'm with you. I get I, I I get it. Yeah, go ahead and ridicule me and argue and all that stuff. I don't care. He didn't give a fly and flip about the truth of the Mesoamerican archaeological picture and the Book of Mormon. All he wanted to do is show that the Book of Mormon fit into Mess America, and if he had to cheat with sources and misrepresent them, he did so, and he was shown that he was doing that, and yet he never changed doing it, so that when he comes along on page 340, and he further says, and this is kind of summing up his whole Knew his most recent, as of 2013, his most recent analysis of the archaeological aspect of metallurgy, uh, metalworking. Technologies in Mesoamerica in Book of Mormon lands. He says, when we consider the processes employed by ancient Mexican metallurgists, we find an impressive list of technological skills refining, annealing, welding, soldering, brazing, bimetallic fusing, by casting, simple and lost wax casting, granulation, gilding depletion, gilding, centering, sin- drawing wire, false filigree, and more. The materials treated were numerous, copper, gold, silver, iron, meteoric iron, lead, tin, mercury, and various alloys, including copper, tin, bronze, white, copper, tin, copper, gold, tumbaga, gold, silver, orchi, and electrum, and iron, sulfur. And you know what? I don't believe a bit of that. Now, I get it. Apologists are going to say, oh, see, backyard professor, all you are is bias. No, based on experience, I just simply don't believe that. I think what John Sorensen is doing, and he has also been told this by other bona fide archaeologists, Michael Coe and the Mathenies, both Deanna and Uh, Ray Matheny, is that, and I'll just basically tell this to you, instead of reading it, now, Deanna Matheny had a very good critique of Sorensen's ancient American setting of the Book of Mormon in the book uh, by Brent Metcalf, New Approaches to the Book of Mormon, Critical Methodology. And this was uh, 1993 signature books. Now, Sorensen responded to this critique in the Review of Books of the Book of Mormon, Volume 6, Number 1, 1994. So he's well aware of the critiques of his Misunderstanding and miscontexting information from the linguistic level about words concerning metal. And yet all the way up to the end of his life, even in 2013, he continued misconstruing those sources. That's apologetics, not scholarship. He also has another serious, fatal flaw to his methodology. And I want to share this with you. And actually, it's it's in both Stan Larson, this one, Quest for the Gold Plates, and in Brent Metcalf's excellent book. Now, this is Deanne Matheny, and the the title of her article. If you haven't read this, you're you're missing out. Oh no, that's the populations. That's chapter seven. Chapter eight is Matheny's uh, chapter on this. Uh, Does the Shoe Fit? A Critique of the Limited Tehuantepec Geography by Deanne G. Mathimi. Very good review of, of uh, Sorensen. And he, in turn, responded in the Farms Review of Books on the Book of Mormon to this review. And she said, a number, and and Sorensen, all throughout his career, including his final magnum opus. I mean, this thing is what? It's 200 pounds. I'm going to build my biceps curling it. It's 830 pages. It's gigantic, excellent work. It's just apologetic, unfortunately, instead of scholarship. It's given to us uh, from the basis of faith and not of scholarship. And That's not to say he didn't put a lot of scholarship in it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that as an ad hominem against him. I'm just saying that was his methodology, and and that's one of my evidences. The other evidence is simply this, and this is fatal. This is critically important to do. A number of metals and processes associated with producing them are mentioned in the Book of Mormon, In discussing metals, it is important to distinguish between metalworking. Now, what is metalworking compared to metallurgy? Here's what a real archaeologist says. Metalworking is the act or the process of shaping things out of metal. Metallurgy is the science and technology of metals, which may involve such processes as smelting, casting, and alloying. Many groups in both the old world and the new world developed the art of cold hammering naturally occurring nuggets of copper and gold and meteoric iron. This art did not require The smelting of ores. The discovery of the properties of metals and their ores in the old world was likely a gradual one. People first recognized native metals, gold, copper, especially, meteoric iron, and then learned that certain ores contained metals, and finally discovered how to smelt the metals. The references to metal in the Book of Mormon strongly imply an advanced knowledge of metallurgy, including the casting and alloys of metals. Sorensen's interpretation of the metals discovered in Mesoamerica is combining metalworking with metallurgy, and that's wrong. The Book of Mormon describes the metallurgy as well as the metalworking. Sorensen says it's all metallurgy. He wants it to all be metallurgy, but it's not. It's very important. And then the Jaredites apparently arrived with the knowledge of metallurgy. They worked ores, gold, silver, iron, brass, copper. And to obtain these ores, Ether 1023 says they did heap up, cast up mighty heaps Of earth, so they were doing major mining. These accomplishments suggest that metal ores were available to the Jaredites in some abundance, of course. An early reference to metallurgy in the Jaredite record notes that Shul, the son of King Kib, went to the hill Ephraim and did molten out of the hill and made swords of steel for those whom he had drawn away with him. He then armed his followers with these swords. So the metallurgy is there. A good deal can be inferred from this kind of a reference. The heaps of earth produced in getting ore suggests a mining system For finding and successfully extracting ores, of course, once the ores were mined, they would have required processing to reduce the elements, which would impede the smelting process. And now, of course, everybody knows, well, if you don't, you you will now. The smelting process involves a very high heat that can be sustained for a long time in order to get the metal out of the ores. Those heaps of the melted out junk to get to the pure metal, those ended up being thrown to the side and those became slag heaps. Those exist forever. We know when a culture has metallurgic competence, we can find the remains of their metallurgical system. It's not just one or two people who do this. Banging swords out of metal is not metallurgy, but swords can be made that way. Making golden plates pounding them with hammers or rocks or whatever to get them thin and then hooking them together with rings, that is not necessarily metallurgy. That could be metalworking. Making pounding gold ornaments is not metallurgy. That is metalworking. The problem is the Jaredite civilization is said to last for a thousand years. And from the beginning, they were making steel swords. Now that takes specific types of alloys and some serious smelting. That is a long process to work with. It's not just one guy showing his brother, cousin, and his brother's ex-wife how to make yourself swords. The record says that all the way through and to the End of the Jaredite demise, the civilization had swords, armor, shields, etc. The hilts of the swords disappeared because they were made of wood, but the sword itself was only rusted. So the Jaredites, the oldest group in the Book of Mormon, had metallurgical alloying capability with smelting, mashing down the rock, melting it out, forming, taking various types of metal, heating them to their melting points. All of the metals have different melting points. Some of those melting points are seriously high. They had to put it all together and then they had to keep making it They apparently did so for over a thousand years because they still had that technology at the end of their civilization. Well, Nephi also is known to have had bellows and made swords after the pattern of Laban's very fine steel sword. Now, one of the apologetic arguments is that the word steel doesn't really mean steel. (laughs) I know, I... I yeah, I I get it. That, that apologetic is just idiotic, isn't it? You know, a horse is not a horse, it's a tapir. You know, silk is not silk, it's cotton. Uh, you know, Nephi isn't large of stature, he's a skinny, scrawny punk, you know, stuff like that. Well, steel is not steel, it's something else. <laughs> and they base this on a mistranslation in the Bible, in the Old Hebrew, of all things, where they say the word steel in the Old Testament probably meant brass. And so it means brass in the Book of Mormon, even though Joseph Smith, with the help of God, translating this thing through a seer stone that gave him the words light on the stone, lightened while he buried his face in the hat. God apparently didn't know steel was brass either because he said steal, <laughs> right? I mean, wow, what a complete, why the mistranslation of the Old Testament in the King James should become the basis for allowing Joseph Smith also that same kind of mistranslation when he did it through the seer stone, that's never explained by John Sorensen. They just assume, oh, well, if the Bible mistranslated it, it's okay for the Book of Mormon too. But is it? I don't see how they can get away with that. They try, but, you know. So, anyway. And so, yeah. I I don't know how much more of this I want to... Oh, boy. Yeah, and metals. Here's the other thing. This is a point that's worth making. Uh, in Matheny's critique, page 286 in the uh, Brent Metcalf volume. Excellent job by Brent here. Uh, metals are the only materials specifically mentioned in connection with Nephite swords. Now, of course, the apologetic Matt Roper, uh, Bill Hamblin, in uh, in some of his materials from the farms, uh, tried to describe the macho-whittle, the, the wooden sword where they stuck pieces of flint in and used as a sword and yet that is never mentioned in the book of mormon but it is in mesoamerica so in order to make it seem accurate uh they're trying to make sure the swords in the book of mormon could be known as machowiddles but the only substance ever mentioned in relation to swords is metal and the machowiddles were not metal so you know and then they were more like clubs anyway as Uh, Larson pointed out in his critique uh, using Tom Ferguson. So it's it's an apologist desperate attempt to try to find some kind of a parallel or a connection with the Book of Mormon material culture in archaeology and the Mesoamerican material culture in archaeology, and it completely flops. It's just a no-go. It does not work. So uh yeah 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 that's pretty good too they use dross as a metaphor in the book of mormon which is an element of smelting so that the cultural aspect of metallurgy was probably they used dross as a metaphor if you're no good and you sin a lot then you're treated like dross etc so that's a metallurgical term Uh, And then what I wanted to do, however, and and again, it's been suggested that the Olmecs can be identified with the Jaredites by Sorensen and others. No evidence has been found that metallurgy was practiced by the Olmec civilization, though. Now, metal work, possibly, but not metallurgy. See, that is where Sorensen is combining the two into one, and that's not valid. See, one might argue that the lack of evidence does not prove the lack of metallurgical activity. So the relevant question becomes what kind of surviving evidence might be expected in the humid tropical climate of the Olmec heartland in what is now the states of Tabasco and Veracruz, Mexico? Somewhere there should be a mining localities and their associated tools, the processing localities, and the remains of the metal objects that were produced. Even if we assume that the mining and processing localities have remained undetected, what about the metal objects produced by the Jaredites? There were a million of them slaughtered in their final battle at the Hill Rama, which was the Hill Cumorah in New York State where Joseph Smith got the gold plates. Has anything of this kind been found? Nope. Has anything of this kind been found in the Mesoamerican Hill Camorra proposed by Sorensen and Hauk? Nope. There's just nothing. That's what Jenkins pointed out to Hamblin. Just find one thing for us to sink our teeth into, and they can't do it. So they they go through all sorts of different stuff in different areas that have nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. See, here's the other here's the other thing that Sorensen does as an apologist. He's got his apologist hat on. Sorensen suggests that the question about metal in Mesoamerica should shift from why was there no metal in Mesoamerica? Two, in early Mesoamerica. Two, now this is the question Sorensen thinks we should be asking. Why do we recover so little evidence of the metallurgical skill that was surely there? Matheny says, the question could better be phrased, where did the metal artifacts found in classical period context in Mesoamerica originate? That is do they reflect a local metallurgical tradition? In other words, if the metal of metallurgical processes is found in the Book of Mormon time in Mesoamerica in those areas, we know that it came through trade from southern America, Peru, and in the Andes Mountains not that Mesoamerica had metallurgical skills. They could have had metalworking skills, but they absolutely had no metal weapons of any kind. So, yeah. And then I wanted to get to one last point. Yes. And this is on page 297. Matheny says, Concerning swords, in summary, no case has been made that metal swords existed in Mesoamerica before the Spanish conquest, and at the present time there is no evidence that the broadsword type of machowhittle existed during the proper times and places to fit the limited Tehuantepec model of John Sorensen. The analysis I have conducted concerning swords could be applied also to armor and other weapons mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Well, in some cases, there is no difficulty in locating the particular item in a Mesoamerican setting at the time of European contact and earlier. For example, shields of various types and materials were found throughout Mesoamerica at the time of the Spanish Conquest and in areas South and North America as well. Other items of war gear, headplates, breastplates, scimitar, the bow and arrow, remain to be adequately addressed. So that's some of the problematic uh, nature. Oh, on page, I'm going to read this too, on page 320, Olmec civilization still seems very different from the Jaredite civilization described in the Book of Mormon. The metallurgy, the plants, the animals, ascribed to the Jaredites, have not been found in connection with the Olmecs. For instance, where is the jaguar, the big cat, the most important big cat in all of Mesoamerica? To the kings and to the gods, it was an absolute cultural must-have totem and icon. You won't find it in the Book of Mormon anywhere. But it does have the Old World animals, cows, horses, pigs, sheep, sheep. Curlums and Cumums, whatever those were, but no jaguars. That's interesting. No monkeys. There's no monkeys mentioned. There's no boa constrictors. There's none of that stuff, right? There's no chocolate mentioned as far as the plant goes, right? There's no maize, etc. So there's a lot of issues that are really problematic. And then finally, in her sum up, page 321F, And investigations, as investigations continue in an area such as Mesoamerica, certain patterns concerning the lifeways of the people during various time periods are revealed. So we are discovering patterns here. So this this could be helpful. The lifeways currently outlined by archaeologists for people in the areas of Mesoamerica chosen by the various limited Tehuantepec models cannot be said to match well with those presented for the Book of Mormon peoples. Both the Jaredites and the Nephites slash Lamanites are depicted as following an old-world life way brought with them from the Near East, and this includes specific plants, animals, and technologies. Sorensen has called up numerous examples of findings from throughout Mesoamerica and beyond to show that the record is not settled on such problems as the presence of horses, sheep, barley, and the early practice of metallurgy. However, most of the references Sorensen cites are problematic in some way or another. His method is a bits and pieces approach involving a large area and all time periods rather than the specific area and time he has selected, failing to take into account the specific cultural processes and developments in that area. That's defective. Seeking to support Sorensen's models, researchers have offered numerous examples of cultural practices and items found at sites located in what is now the Department of Peten, Guatemala, or the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, which includes the modern day states of Campeche, Yucatan, and Quintana Roo. These are the areas where many of Mayan's greatest. Civilization achievements occurred, yet neither Sorensen nor Hauk's model is able to successfully incorporate these areas. So the difficulty for Sorensen and Hauk and anybody else looking to Mesoamerica is absolutely immense. and And now I want to I want to do one more. I had so many of these Michael Co. Uh, maybe I can do, maybe I can do some more next week. I want to continue on this subject. If it's all right with you guys, I'll ask you, has this been interesting at all? Have you, have you learned anything? Do you like this subject of uh, Book of Mormon Archaeology? Myself, I enjoy it. I've got a boatload more of stuff I can share with you, and I will if you want to, but uh, let me share this one. You, You answer while I share this one Last clip of uh, Michael Cole because this is so good.
3: Inform you about your errors in your statements in the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure you would not wish to continue saying what is not factual. <laughs> well, it's true. I only want to say what's factual. It's right there. Well, he's basically saying you're you're misrepresenting the facts. You're you're
2: <laughs> misleading people and deceiving oh, those people. Those are beliefs, not facts. Okay. Quite something quite different. So that's what John wants to believe, more power to him. But uh, th- don't say that these are scientific facts because they're not. And
3: that's kind of what this really comes down to. Is it, it, uh, None of us care what John Sorensen believes. No. None of us care what Michael Ash believes. No. And honestly, I don't think we care what you believe. No. What, what, what hundreds of What millions of Mormons are trying to figure out is, no. are they part of a church that's told them the truth? And if wow. their religion's built on the Book of Mormon as the keystone of the religion, can we rely on the book to be authentic? And, and so, what, what.
1: That's one idea I wanted to share with you. That wasn't the main one, though. I think I have to go to his second one. Let me find this clip on how he uh, puts together uh, John Sorensen's modus operandi. I believe this is it.
3: Overall, how would you characterize go. John Sorensen's attempt to provide evidence as a response to my interview with you, if you had to sort of characterize your assessment of yeah. his, of his he, he's evidence?
2: Picking, he's picking out stuff out of the air, you know, which he thinks all adds up to a big argument. And uh, each one of them is, is pretty darn weak. Uh I'd like, you know, I've, I've, he sends me all this stuff. But I, you know, I don't read everything. I mean, the, the last one was really a long tome. But uh, uh, he, he's he's grasping at little things here and there and elsewhere, and thinking they form some kind of a pattern to 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 fit in with this this story. He said um, he said you might plead
3: ignorance of any purely Mormon efforts to demonstrate a relationship between Mesoamerica and the Near East, but how could you not be aware of his nineteen seventy-one article that discussed this very point? Whose article? I think that's Sorensen. He's saying himself uh, not mine, I hope. <laughs> he's he's basically saying he's published an article on the relationship between the Near East and Mesoamerica. Well, it did not say again.
2: I, to me, they're just totally different in a way that they are not different from Asia. I mean, I've told John this. I said, why don't you turn to Asia? Because there are so many fascinating things there.
3: He says the striking nature and number of the correspondences make it certain that there was a direct diffusionary event that anciently linked the two areas.
2: Well, if that's what he wants to believe, that's fine. But it's... Not scientific. It's not scientifically established. Okay. He ends by saying,
3: I choose not to go further with this commentary. It has become rather
2: tedious. Don't say. (laughs) (laughs) That's the last word as far as I'm concerned.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love Coe's humor, but Coe really does put the uh, finger on the problem with LDS apologetics in this subject is they think finding small little odd parallels and all, if you find 400 of them, then all of a sudden you have an authentic book of Mormon, Mormon codex. And the problem is that has convinced no other Mesoamericans who are non-Mormon scholars. If you already believe the book of Mormon, then this is pretty good stuff. But that shows you that they are approaching it as faith, not science and archaeology. Now I got to know Richard Hansen. He was one of the Mesoamerican archaeologists, and he recently found a major temple find down there in the jungles of uh, Mesoamerica. Years ago, I did some Mayan artwork for him, and uh, he was actually impressed because when I I scroll sawed the wood out, I did the uh, I did several major artwork pieces for him. One I put in the coffee table and another one was a big wall plaque and he could actually read the hieroglyphs. It blew him away. He said, Oh my gosh, I can actually read the hieroglyphs. You actually did that. I said, well, yeah, I mean, I've got to make it genuine Mayan, you know, and he goes, well, most people just do a a similar look-alike. You actually did. He said, I can actually read this. And I said, well, yeah, you better be able to, otherwise you're not much of an archeologist. (laughs) We had a good time, man. Uh, We got together a few times. I asked him point blank, once I got to know him, uh, I asked him point blank, uh, what do you think of uh, the Mormon apologist farms and their approach to Mesoamerica and the Mesoamerican model of the Book of Mormon? And he knew who I was talking about. He said, oh, he said, it's all bunk. He said, I do not mix my Mormonism with Mesoamerican scholarship at all he said nothing matches he said i don't give a damn what they say he said that's he said see that's the kind of stuff that gives black eyes both to mormon scholarship and mesoamerican archaeology well i got to know him and we talked about that quite a bit uh we met a few times and and got to have some good conversations and uh I found out a little later that Dan Peterson was using Richard Hansen as yet another Mesoamerican archaeologist who may be finding evidence for the Book of Mormon. And basically what he was doing was padding his footnotes in an article and padding the number of scholars who are actually finding evidence for the Book of Mormon. And so, see, this is really valid and it's something. And you should start paying attention to we farmed scholars who know what we're doing archaeologically. And uh, I called him out on. I said, that's just bunk. Richard Hansen does not believe in the Mesoamerican model of the Book of Mormon at all, and he thinks there are no correlations. He does not think anything in Mesoamerica supports the Book of Mormon, and I've got that personally from Richard Hansen when he was standing one foot away from me conversing with me. So, yeah, that's the the value of direct knowledge, right? So, Anyway, uh, what do you guys think? Do you think uh, you want me to continue pursuing this archaeology uh, subject? I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm right out of hour and a half, so I've I've done plenty of uh, nasty waste of time stuff right now. So, what do you think? Yeah, we want more, more Book of Mormon. Okay. I I will be happy to do more Book of Mormon. Uh, Dan Vogel, especially, you have uh, stuff that you can kind of help me with in the chat, or else I could help you with on video while you teach in the chat. (laughs) You're far more knowledgeable than I am. Although I did read the Book of Mormon once a month, every month on my mission for two solid years. I pretty much had it uh, close to memorized back then. I hope so. Well, thank you, Teresa Pittman. Welcome, by the way. I didn't get to see you early on. And Levina Cornell. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Yeah, I, I'll be happy to do a lot more of the Book of Mormon. Uh, it's also kind of fun to compare and contrast the Book of Mormon picture with the biblical archaeological picture, not only because the, uh, the Mesoamerican archaeology picture has changed and the North American archaeological picture has changed. So the Heartlanders are contending against the old farms school, but the biblical archaeology has changed, and uh, I have William Dever's very excellent book, uh, one of my very favorites, one of the most important books ever published, and it's a mammoth one. Uh Uh-oh, where is it? William, where are you? Oh, I've showed you this before. William Dever, Beyond the Texts. Uh, This really gives the good context of the because of the new uh advance in technologies, uh, we can do a much better job uh in dirt archaeology anywhere in the world. And and John DeLynn's interview with Mike Coe, that first I, I think the the clips I showed was was uh Out of number 906, but his number 905, they're talking about LIDAR, the radar now that they're going through the jungles. And now there's nothing hidden anymore. We can map and trace absolutely everything. We can find everything now under the jungles without destroying the jungles. And we can tie it in with with, uh, the... GPS and go right to it and start doing excavating and discoveries without destroying all the jungles. So I mean there's nothing hidden anymore that <laughs> we are we have a pretty good confidence rating on who where they came from, when they originated, how long they lived and what kind of lives these Mesoamerican Mayans had and how they differed from the Incans and Aztecs. There's no question about that, that they did. And the Hopis and the, uh, the Northern American Indians, the Crow, the Cherokee, the Comanche, the Blackfoot, all of those. Uh, there's just different, uh, there are differences in their cultures. And uh, we now know who was trading with who, where they came from, et cetera. And it, it's all pretty much, it's, it's a very interesting situation. But uh, there's so much more details, and see, I basically focused on the. I I didn't even give you the full context, yet, the full emphasis and discussion on the metallurgy, uh, but um. Oh. But I mean, we can do plants and animals. We can do politics. We can do all kinds of fun stuff with this Book of Mormon stuff. Let me see if I can get. Uh, okay, here's a short one.
2: Immigrants from Asia. So uh, where is all this stuff? There's been huge amounts of archaeology done and it's going on today in this area that uh, some of these uh, apologists for the Book of Mormon are overlooking. Uh, what, what have they found? They've never, nobody's ever found pre-Columbian cow bones in America. Period. Uh, you know, all this, you know, cattle. All this stuff that's in the book, i We're going we're gonna, to, we're
3: covering that right now. Yeah. Let me, let me just a couple more quick things. Um, yes. We, you know, it's, it's interesting that Michael Ash feels so strongly about commenting here and saying, we're not asking or answering the right questions. We've invited Michael Ash on normal stories many, 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 many times, and he's declined. So Michael Ash, again, if you feel so strongly about your arguments we, we invite you to come on Mormon Stories and we would love to interview you and we will treat you fairly like we do all the people that we interview um, uh, so um, someone else writes uh, Ted writes, the Book of Mormon up until recently in the introduction said that the Native Americans are the primary and principal ancestors um, and then we know that was changed once the church found out that DNA evidence didn't support that uh, that's another example of the church retreating the target, shrinking the target, so that it gets, uh, you know, it gets the question to to a position, as you say, a black box, or to a position of unfalsifiability. So that's a really good thing to mention, Ted. Um, okay, so and thank you, Daniel, for your question. That was
1: see that was that's another very important thing uh, that I think. It's funny how Mike Ash, in their chat at their live in that interview, he was challenging both John Delin and Michael Coe. He said, "Well, you don't understand the, you don't understand the LDS scholarship. You're not familiar with the archaeological correlations." Imagine that, a 40-year-old apologist, a 45-year-old apologist, challenging Michael Coe that he doesn't understand stuff when the apologist supposedly does. I mean, the pure arrogance of some apologetics. And then they invite the apologist. In one point, I I don't have it, but in another part of the interview, Mike Ash was really making hay in the chat against what everybody else was saying. And John DeLynn just flat out said, well, Mike was saying, you're asking the wrong questions. DeLynn invited him. He said, well, you're here right now in chat. I can see you're talking to us ask the questions that I should be asking Mike, Dr. Co, and I'll ask him right now and he can discuss it. Ash wouldn't do that. Isn't that odd? I mean, seriously, if you're that confident about your position, if we're asking the wrong questions and you're live in the chat and John Delim is reading the chat and offering you a chance to ask the right questions, why on earth wouldn't you ask those questions? Instead, he disappeared. Apologetics folks. (laughs) I mean, seriously, you know, so And there's much more that I want to share as I find other clips of other people. Uh, And thank you again, John DeLinn, for so graciously allowing me to uh, share uh, just a few uh, brief clips. Uh, The whole interview is about four hours, and it's absolutely fantastic. You would do yourselves well to listen to that interview. Uh, Co-not-once ad hominems anything of any Mormon scholarship. He just he, he does not downplay the religion. He does not make fun of the Book of Mormon. He does not make fun of anything. In fact, he ends up telling you, if you think Mormonism gives you your good values and family values, then stick with it. Absolutely. I mean, he's nothing but gracious in this interview. And yet he's very informative, showing us how the Mesoamerican model is a fail when it comes to the reality of the literal history of the Book of Mormon the Book of Mormon could be something else besides literal history we know archaeologically it does not confirm that so I mean that's kind of fun to analyze so So, okay I have uh, I have just about wore out my welcome oh wait I'm the host (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 40. Yes, he sure did. Doug Vincent co had 40 years of study on Ash. Yeah. No kidding. Ash did what read one of Sorensen's books and thought he knew it all. I know the feeling. I thought the same way as an apologist, man. I'm telling you, you you can't see your own ignorance. I mean, Hamblin was constantly calling Phil Jenkins naive in their debate over Nahum And, and Phil Jenkins just said, just show me one item then. And they can't do it. They, they can't do it. Now, realize when I'm saying that, that's not ad hominem. I'm not attacking them as people. If they really did have something, that would be the first thing they would trot out. And we would have a trillion articles and books on that. We would have archaeologists coming over. And 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 saying yes, finally we got something for the Book of Mormon. We would have that kind of confirmation. None of it. Absolute bankruptcy. There is nothing there. It's astonishing. From from a uh, from a former apologist viewpoint, th- this is still kind of uh, shocking to me. <laughs> I go, my gosh, how could I not see that? And yet I couldn't. Well, neither can they. That's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Yeah. Parallels are not what we're talking about. That's not good enough. Parallels don't mean anything compared to an actual inscription that would identify I mean, Hamblin even tried to show a description of a Mesoamerican king fit one of the ancient Jaredite king's names, and Jenkins just tore him apart. You really have to watch. You have to read that. Oh, it's just, it's fantastic. Oh, it is something else. So, anyway, thank Oh, the sister of Jared. Hey, welcome, sis. Thank you, David Nielsen. Good to see you. You're more than welcome to be here at any time, Mr. Natural. Huff Daddy, good to see you. Garrick J, good to see you. Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Dan Bogle. Yeah, the important thing is that you finally saw it. Yeah, it took me 50 years, but I did finally see it. So, see, don't cry too much over spilled milk. It's all you know uh, the optimistic way is to say well it's all a life experience you know and and quite frankly it's been positive you uh you have to experience things to be able to have a what a, a comparison and a contrast and so i'm alive that's that's the glory of it right so this is good um Oh, yeah, don't forget to hit the like button, peeps, is what Peter Higgs says. Yeah, hit the like button. You got, oh, my gosh, I already have been. Thank you. That's very gracious of you. 33 likes. That's very nice. Okay. Um, I know. Yeah. See, and, and this is a good point. It's amazing that the smart people in the church fall for the stuff that the church puts out. So what does that tell you? Just being smart is not enough because there really are genuinely very smart people in Mormon, far smarter than I could ever be. I I almost hesitate to say smarter than Dan Vogel because that might be blasphemy or smarter than Doug Vincent or smarter than Patty Cake. But it just shows smart doesn't prevent being deceived does it right? That's very interesting. That's a, uh, that's a lesson for us all to learn. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Willie, they always put faith before facts and yet they want to discover facts to build their faith in the Mesoamerican model of the book of Mormon as presented. uh, They can't do that. And that sucks for them. Right. So that's the way it goes. Hey JC, welcome. Good to see you. All right, oh, Tracy Roberts. Welcome. Uh, I'm trying to see I'm trying to say hi to as many of you as I can before I, Oh, whoops. Oh no. Ah. Am I still here? Okay, wow. I did something stupid and I thought it got me out of here. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Humans are emotional first and then intellectual second. That is so true. Yep. All right, you guys, I'm going to zip way back here to see if I made any enemies. I hope so. I mean, I hope not. (laughs) I hope so. I want you all to be my friends. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. We have thus demonstrated the Book of Mormon is not true by RKL. That's the way it is, man. It's not our fault. It's not anybody's fault. That's just the nature of the reality, right? So anyway, I will read all your comments. Uh, Oh, Rodney James McGuire, thank you for showing up. I see your name here. I want to say welcome to as many of you as I can. Lorena, I I, I think I've said hi to you. So anyway, yeah, Huff Daddy, I've said hi to you. You stupid dud muffin you and Teresa Pittman. oh she's awesome too okay you guys mark crispin of course you're always here you awesome dude you and uh doug vincent of course yeah oh 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 hey oh oh i love your handle that's awesome man m bison welcome so anyway uh i'm gonna call it the night you guys I, i've been here for almost two hours that's good enough so uh You guys have a good night, and next week I will continue on. I will try to find some some more fun stuff on archaeology and the Book of Mormon. (laughs) There are boatloads of it. It's interesting that there's nothing archaeological in favor of the Book of Mormon, and yet there's boatloads of information that I can share with you on this subject of archaeology and the Book of Mormon. (laughs) There's almost a paradox for you, huh? That's kind of cool how that works. So, all right. I love all of you. Remember, be good, do well, have fun, work hard, be good neighbors, be good citizens. Hey, happy 4th of July. Everybody celebrate tomorrow. Be safe. Don't do anything stupid. Um, be safe, don't be dangerous, have fun, celebrate like crazy, enjoy our freedoms, even worldwide. I know you guys have the 4th of July. If you're not in America, celebrate your freedom anyway, if you have it. I hope you do. And I don't forget Wednesday night with the uh, Radio Free Mormon and Bill Reel on the Mormonism Live. And I will see you next Sunday night, 6 p.m. Be here or be square. Yeah. Where we share more Book of Mormon information on archaeology and how it completely decimates the apologists. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. All right, that's a good one to end on. Yeah, baby.
0: Oh, that's embarrassing. You know that? Yeah, you know, well, that's the way it works. Woohoo. <laughs>